you are only focused on yourself and you pass the beggar by, that's not that's not evolution. You're not evolving. Exactly. You haven't answered a need. You haven't seen where you are. You haven't looked around. Mm-hmm. Whereas what they want us to do is understand that we all have a job collectively in the salvage of, of this humanity. And that is a foretaste of this episode of the Planetary Makeover Show. In response to the heartfelt voices of an awakening humanity, we have evidence that divine help is at hand to work with us to create a hopeful future. Hello, I'm your host, David Minot, and welcome to another episode of Planetary Makeover. This time around, we will be rebroadcasting an interview that Diana Gold Holland did on the Share on the Air radio show that I was also involved with back in 2016 or late 2015 with Patricia Pichon, who is a journalist from London. She may have the distinction of being the only journalist in the world who had actually interviewed Benjamin Krem's master and the world teacher Maitreya. And let me explain. Benjamin Krem is the artist, esotericist, and author who's been viewed sort of as a latter-day John the Baptist. And he's been sharing the most incredible story probably that's ever been told to mankind, and that is the emergence of the world teacher Maitreya and his group, the Masters of Wisdom. And while his story goes back to 1959, when he was first contacted by one of the Masters of Wisdom, this story with Patricia begins in the early 1980s. And when she was first introduced to the story, like so many of us, she was skeptical. The notion that some great divine being had re-entered the world and was going to teach humanity how to free itself from uh, the bondage of materiality and war and poverty and all the rest of our current ills and save itself seemed implausible. But as a journalist and a professional, she wanted to get to the bottom of it. As you will hear, she was able to interview Benjamin Cram himself as well as others, including people in the Asian community of London, beginning in Brick Lane, who actually worked with Maitreya, who were actually taught by him, while the rest of the world, for the most part, was unaware of this incredible event unfolding in one of the major cities of the world. And while she may be the only journalist who has talked about this openly, we know that both the BBC and CNN both had access to Maitreya and were approached to do an interview with him. And in fact, and this would be the subject of a whole other show, at one of the interviews, he actually bought, brought the Master Jesus with him. The figure that we know historically as Jesus is also a member of the Masters of Wisdom, humanity's elder brother, and works regularly with Maitreya. 
that interview has, for the most part, yet to see the light of day, unfortunately. Think of it. Probably the most important interview ever seen anywhere. And it's sitting in the vaults of the BBC. But he was also interviewed by CNN with the understanding that it would be aired. And in a sense it was, but only to a limited audience. We're thinking it was in parts of Scotland and elsewhere, I'm not sure. But the audience was quite small. But I would have loved, as I'm sure you would have been, to be among those privileged few who actually saw it. As you probably know, if you have been following the story, Maitreya's probably done over 200 such interviews since emerging back in, in a sense, back in 2010. He actually came out into the world in 1977 and has been working since then. And in some sense, quite openly. But sometimes what's right out in the open is the first thing that we overlook. And if this isn't the most stunning example of that, I don't know what is. So beginning in the United States back then, in I think around about 2010, he began doing interviews, but under another name. What he wanted, what the Masters of Wisdom want, and what people associated with this incredible story really want is for people to come to it on their own, not for it to be presented by some kind of authority figure, which is why you're hearing it from me, because what do I know? And that way, your free will is not interfered with in any way. Patricia herself, while a reputable journalist, was also able to comment on this, and not only that, but to write a book about it, which I've got a copy of here, and we were so intrigued by seeing her interview again that I'm back reading it again, Searching for Maitreya, and perhaps you can find this on the web. It's highly recommended. I'm sure it will be mentioned in the credits as well. So while she was able to interview him and publish her results in both Share International Magazine, in her own book, and some of what she learned, some of the teachings she heard, also made their way into some of Benjamin Krem's books. And those are also available to the public. In fact, three of them three of his books are available as free downloads, and you will see that also in the credits here at Planetary Makeover at share-ecart.com is where you can get his books, also Amazon and any good book distributor. So I've had the privilege through reading Ben's books of already being exposed to Patricia's investigative work on this glorious subject even before I found her book. And it is a must-read, I must say. So in this interview, Diana Gold Holland from Share on the Air Radio had a wonderful discussion with Patricia about everything from her first inklings of this story to her trips to Brick Lane, London, 
to track down someone in the Asian community who could talk to her about Maitreya, since she knew so little firsthand herself at that point, to meeting Benjamin Krem and recording interviews with his master. Just an incredible experience she's had, and she's just getting warmed up. So we hope you will enjoy this interview, and there will be more to come, we're hoping, here at Planetary Makeover. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. This is Diana Holland, Diana Gold Holland, broadcasting on radio on this Sunday, December 6th. Patricia, are you there? Yes, I'm on me? the line. Good evening, Diana. Good. Let us continue with our show. And let me start with just the background premises to our show, uh, which we repeat every week so that uh, you know where we're coming from. Uh, uh, Share International Radio and the people who produce it, who are all volunteers, believe that uh, we are not alone at this time of crisis in um, Mother Earth's history. We believe that there is uh, help of an extraordinary nature coming to us, and that is in the form of perfected masters who are here now emerging onto the world scene to help and counsel us at this great time of transition. And at their head is Maitreya, the world teacher for this age, just as there have been world teachers for all of the other previous ages. So we present this information for your consideration only. If you find it of interest, if it has the ring of truth for you, we invite you to share it. Most of, much of this information comes from uh, author and uh, British esotericist Benjamin Krem, C-R-E-M-E, who has for uh, many decades now been talking of the reappearance of the Christ and the Masters of Wisdom. And a shout out to Mr. Krem today. He has very, very recently celebrated his 93rd birthday, and uh, we send him best regards on that occasion. At this time, let me welcome our guest for today, Patricia Pichon, who works, who has worked very closely with Mr. Krem. Patricia is a freelance journalist and translator based in London, England. She's been a contributor to Share International magazine. She has been a contributor since 1983 and is the author of a book called Searching for Maitreya, the product of many, many years of research. Now, together with a BBC colleague, Brian James, Patricia transcribed many of Maitreya's teachings that were um, sourced from a contact with members in the London Asian community where Maitreya was residing at the time. Uh, these teachings have been published over several months in Share International magazines and in volumes one and two of Mr. Krem's book, um, Maitreya's Mission. Uh, Patricia has also done interview with interview with Benjamin Krem's master, one of the masters of wisdom emerging now onto the world scene through Benjamin Krem, and these interviews were also published over time in the magazine. You can access them on share-international.org. So without uh, further ado, let me welcome to our show Patricia Pichon. Welcome, Patricia. Uh, thank you, Diana. It's a pleasure to greet you in this way and also the listeners to this program. Very happy to have you. 
Patricia, let's start with your personal introduction to the reappearance story. What, how did that occur, and what was convincing to you that the emergence of Maitreya, the world teacher and the masters of wisdom, is not some kind of fairy tale? Well, um, what happened to me was that I went uh, to a lecture uh, by Mr. Benjamin Krem here in London, um, and that was uh, way back in 1982. And um, I knew something about the concept of masters, but I had no idea that there was anything going on in a contemporary sense. Um, And I went to this lecture, which was called um, The Reappearance of the Christ and the Masters of the Wisdom. Uh, it was held at Friends House, which is um, the, the, run by the Quakers here in London, a, a well-known place. And um, Mr. Krem began to explain his association with one particular master and his many years of training and what his master was explaining about the process of gradual return of this group of masters with Maitreya at their head. Um, Mr. Krem spoke of many topics and of the urgent need to pay attention to, to the real needs of human beings in the world, like hunger and uh, people who are imprisoned falsely and all the problems that, that we see of great differences between haves and have-nots. And uh, uh, he said that um, these were the genuine concerns of the masters and that uh, really their push was going to be for us to, to respond to the immediate and urgent needs of humanity. Because as far as they're concerned, salvation isn't something that they're going to do single-handedly. They have to do that hand-in-hand with humanity itself, becoming more aware and really reacting um, to, to to their brother's need and learning to share their own time, their resources, whatever else. Uh, to to alleviate suffering and to help people to to develop, that the salvation of mankind de- depends on mankind itself, and their role is to galvanize us, to energize us, to inspire us, and to guide us. But we collectively must do this work. Okay, um, that appealed to me immensely, and um, it also appealed to my common sense. But also at the end of this lecture. And Mr. Krem said, we are now going to receive the blessing of Maitreya. And he leaned forward, and when he sort of stood erect again, I saw a most beautiful face in the outline of his face, which was a completely different face, of a man with large dark eyes and high cheekbones and a very beautifully balanced face and a sort of golden brown skin. Um, he was also very, very tall and 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 slim. I I kind of perceived the height internally, but the face I saw very clearly. And this vision lasted for about 20 minutes. And when those marvelous eyes crossed my line of vision directly, I felt waves and waves and waves of the most extraordinary love coming towards me. I mean, it was something that I could never have invented or imagined. It was something so intense and so pure and so beautiful. It sort of reminded me of the purity of a newborn babe, but it was absolutely unforgettable. Um, I I could understand that this was a a divine love, a, a love that doesn't choose between one person and another, something truly elevating and truly beautiful. And it, it would have been impossible to, to invent something like that. 
an experience like that. I have I have never been able to to forget that. It's always with me. Yeah, this seems to be um, the common reaction to uh, an experience of Maitreya, or one of the masters, that it is unforgettable. Um, now, this um, this vision that occurred for you and lasted quite a long time, 20 minutes mm. or so, mm. um, was, you know, very, very unusual. But um, I would like to carry on uh, with um, a description of... Uh, how the uh, how Maitreya and the masters are publicly uh, stepping up their emergence into the world scene. We've talked about this before, and we have mentioned that it is based and and uh, calibrated on the acceptance of humanity of of the um, of, of the creation of this climate of hope into which they can emerge and that their emergence is controlled and calibrated by our welcome to them by our uh, inviting them forward and so uh, since the um, late 70s when Maitreya first uh, came into his point of focus in London, in England, your town, in 1977, uh, there have been many phases of this emergence and I'd like us to start talking about those now and possibly continue a bit on that uh, after we come back from the break. But let's, let's, let's talk about the early days now in, with which you were very much um, engaged well, the very the very first thing that happened was actually um, a newspaper advertisement, a full-page newspaper advertisement, explaining that that the masters are gradually emerging and explaining um, their concerns for humanity. And um, it was a it was a full-page ad- advertisement that appeared in 14 major newspapers, some here and some abroad. I think some in the states as well. Now, you mentioned the full-page ad that appeared in 1982, placed by uh, Mr. Benjamin Krem, and uh, concerning the reappearance and the um, priorities of the Masters. Um, some people have wondered how such a 14-page, full-page ad spread could have occurred, and uh, it was financed completely by volunteer donations, as is all of the work in uh, letting people know about the reappearance. There are many, many groups worldwide making this uh, information known, and also uh, the progress of the emergence is covered every month in Share International magazine. Uh, Viewers or listeners can find out more about that on shareinternational.org, and I just wanted to mention that. Let's continue then, Patricia, with the um, phases of the emergence of Maitreya, the world teacher, and the Masters of Wisdom. Okay. Well, um, I was thinking about how they work, and basically their mission is to teach and to heal. So um, evidence of the healing work came to me very early because um, I realized that uh, Mr. Krem was in touch regularly with his master and it was possible to give uh, Mr. Krem names for healing of people that were ill um, in in, in any way. And um, the answer would always be that the master would do what he can within the laws of karma, meaning the divine law of cause and effect. And um, that was always a cautious response, but also a true one in the sense that masters are not all powerful. They can send healing energy, but each individual has his own 
destiny in terms of what he has sown and what he has garnered over uh, his life and, and many lives because they believe in reincarnation. And uh, an illness may be the result of something that happened a long while back or it may not be any such thing. But within what, whatever laws constrain them, they, they, they can heal and have healed many, many people. Um, so I partook in a kind of experiment where I started to give names of people that were terminally ill, and I did that for two years, and subsequently handed this dossier to a colleague, a journalist who worked for one of the main daily papers here, so that he himself could also do the research with the people concerned. But in fact, um, out of um, all of these cases, at least 50% of them were, were healed, um, some were not healed but had very peaceful uh, and, 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 and bearable deaths. And other people, their condition continued, but, it was, uh, but they were helped with pain control. I mean, there was a whole range of stuff. But the fact is that um, most of these people were considered um, sort of hopeless cases. I mean, people who, you know, there was nothing more that could be done as far as Western medicine was concerned. And that was, that was the... the you know, the sort of controlling factor for me in terms of research. Um, and that began to persuade me that, once again, something rather extraordinary was going on because um, I have had many, many uh, experiences since then, have given hundreds of names and, and have followed many cases uh, where people have been helped uh, a great deal. Right. Um, as a correspondent, so one instance. right? As a correspondent for the magazine as well, I have been following um, some of the more public events in in this um, phased emergence. And um, starting in 1988, for example, was the whole period of uh, actual uh, miracles occurring in the world, which we will talk about more on a future program towards Christmas time. But uh, I just wanted to bring that up as well because of the breadth of that uh, series of miracles. And, um, and, and I'm sure that you had some involvement in, in reporting those as well. Uh, well, I certainly um, remember one particular case where there was a healer in Nairobi. Her name is Mary Akatsa. And she was in a, working in a very poor neighborhood of my, Nairobi. A lot of people came to her for healing, and she would simply place the Bible on whatever part of the, the person's body uh, was required, and many people were healed, and that's why she became very well known there, and many people would attend these healing sessions out in the open air. And um, there was an editor of uh, a, ma a major newspaper there, the Kenya Times. He was the Swahili editor. His name was Job Mutungi. Um, he went there and uh, subsequently came to London and told me, I met him here, and he told me that what he actually saw was Maitreya, he, he didn't know exactly who he was going to see, but he saw an explosion of light, and suddenly there was this man there, and uh, people were sort of amazed by this, and he had gone there with a photographer from the Kenya Times, and they took photographs of this man, and he, Maitreya, it was Maitreya, but Maitreya actually said uh, people should follow their own religion. They should um, actually be who they are. Uh, he taught some of the things that he has always taught. And, um, and uh, also um, 
that Varia Council was doing very good work. And uh, it was a very simple and very direct connection with the people. And uh, subsequently, uh, when, when Job Mutungi came to London, he said that he was staring at this person who had appeared in that sort of way, and, and that person was walking amongst the crowd there, and that he, he could see like sparks of light actually emerging from his heels, from the heels of his feet. Wow. Uh, this is a, a small detail, but it's very interesting. But what was interesting to us in London is that these photographs of that event were published in the Kenya Times. And, of course, here, um, Benjamin Krem asked his master about this, and, and his master confirmed that it was Maitreya. But I had actually already seen uh, the, vi- the visage of Maitreya, and I could see that it, that it was Maitreya. And uh, that was as far as I was concerned. Uh, but in any case, um, the, the, the few photographs that exist of Maitreya are actually taken from that event, which was on the 11th of June of 1988. But he, he doesn't always appear in such a dramatic fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, I've had some extraordinary experiences. There was one in particular that, again, I, I'll, I, I, is always with me as an experience. And it was... Um, uh, it was it was at a time when I was feeling very very sad. It was around 1993. My mother had passed away, and I was standing at a bus stop near my house, ready to go somewhere. I was feeling really quite down, and I suddenly became aware that someone was looking at me. And by this time, I'd seen my Treya in a vision, and I'd also seen him once in person. So I I did know what he looked like. Um, but I suddenly looked up and I saw this person who looked exactly like Maitreya, except it was a woman. But, it ha- but she had the same extraordinary height as he has and, and, and a completely identical face. It could have been his twin, but as a woman. And she was dressed very simply in a white shirt and a long gray skirt and sort of flat black sandals. And her hair was sort of drawn back in a rather elegant way. And yet she looked like a person from the people. Such was her simplicity. But when I looked at her, what... What happened was that I felt as if I had, as if I had sort of plunged into the ocean of, of, of maternal love. She was showing me an a- uh. aspect of, of the divinity as mother. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt as if I was being cradled like a baby and consoled, deeply, deeply consoled. It was, it was the most beautiful experience. It went on for a few minutes. I actually don't know how long. And then she very gently turned and just walked past me all the way down to sort of the end of, the, of, a, of a road. And I, I wanted to run after her and say, I know who you are, <laughs> but I didn't dare. I was just completely overwhelmed. And also I was in a state of sort of ecstasy after an experience like that. And I forgot where I was going. I didn't board the bus. I went home and I actually went to bed. And I just lay there just in a, in a state of, of bliss. It was it was such a wonderful, wonderful experience. And, of course, I had read lots of Eastern philosophy, and I, I, I knew about their ideas about the Divine Mother. And, of course, we live in a Christian culture, so the Divine Mother is not an alien concept to me. But actually experiencing that kind of love was something extraordinary. Absolutely. 
And you know, there are, for our readers or our listeners rather, there are uh, many, many stories of this type that are published in Share International magazine. The Masters and Maitreya are actually definitely very much with us. They walk the streets of our cities and they do indeed, indeed, and they are here for us. So um, thank you for yet another wonderful story of of this type. Maitreya and the Masters are also very much concerned with uh, the affairs of uh, our humanity at this time. It's been mentioned before that Maitreya has appeared in Tahir Square in uh, Egypt um, as the White Horseman and also as the Angel in White um, delivering a, um, a battle scarred person in Syria. These are available on YouTube. The masters also help out when there are such things as earthquakes and other disasters. There are stories of them having helped in that big um, uh, earthquake that happened in Japan about three years ago. And uh, Maitreya has even been photographed attending as a normal, ordinary person um, some of the great peace marches that they are going that are going on now. Most recently, um, there has been a statement put out by Maitreya's, uh, or sorry, by Benjamin Krem's master in Share International about the recent uh, massacre in in Paris. And I wonder if you could fill us in briefly on the content of that. Uh, um, Patricia, just before we go to break. Well, just very briefly, because obviously I, I don't have that particular issue directly in front of me, so I can't quote from it directly. But mm-hmm. I, I do know that when I read it, I was very struck by one thing that the master said, which is that paradoxically, in a way, after so much, such a such a sorry, sad incident, such tragic happenings as the deaths of these people in Paris. Um, it is the reaction of people in so many different places in the world of the opposite to fanaticism, the opposite to hatred, of stretching their hand out, of, of trying to console each other, of trying not to, not to be swept by hatred that, that uh, has, has helped um, Maitreya's emergence. Thank you, Patricia. We were talking about uh, a statement that has been put forward by the master who mo- works most directly with Benjamin Krem, the chief spokesman for this uh, information. And I would like to just quote uh, a paragraph from this, Patricia, if you might, that you were um, referring to. Uh, the the uh, statement, part of the statement says... The invocative cry from humanity in response to the many problems in the world has uh, opened the door for Maitreya. Another factor is that enough people around the world are responding to the event in Paris by choosing love, unity, and tolerance. The enormity of this tragedy has brought many people together in a way which was not obvious before. It has shown that humanity is nearer to the idea of unity than we might think, and this has colored their reaction. They have shown they are ready for change of the right kind. That's a really very powerful statement and very beautiful. Yes, And I think I have seen some very interesting evidence of that. Because um, just after those terrible events in Paris, uh, people did gather in a main square there, one of the main squares, the Place de la République. And uh, while people were laying flowers and so on to um, express their sorrow at the death of so many young people, 
a woman, a Muslim woman in a, in a Muslim headscarf actually came forward and she had a sign on her that said, um, if you love me, embrace me. If you don't, then don't. And a lot of people came forward, uh, all sorts of women from every kind of background, um, to embrace this, this woman. And this was actually shown on television. Uh, and I found that absolutely extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It was an act of love and of saying, we're not going to blame you just because you're a Muslim woman for all the, all the horror and the carnage that happened here. And it was a way of, of extending a hand and, and refusing to be swept up into, into that sort of reaction that stereotypes people and causes hatred and causes wars. Right. And the same, of course, is going on with the Syrian refugees. I mean, who, who more than anybody but those refugees has been affected by the ISIS um, regime mm-hmm. of terror? And yet, mm-hmm. and yet we have, you know, uh, recrimination against these very refugees who have fled with nothing but their children on their backs, literally. So. Yes, and, and, and some very interesting experiences of compassion were also filmed here, at any rate, on TV, which I saw and, and certainly pondered. It was, it was while refugees were trying to get through Croatia mm-hmm. um, to another part of Europe, desperate refugees, as you say, with nothing but the clothes on their back, carrying babies or walking with young children or old people or whatever. And we saw these multitudes again on television. And the, the Croatian government was busily erecting um, fences and barriers. Uh, but at the same time, ordinary Croatians were actually approaching the refugees with food and blankets. Yeah, yeah. So that was a very interesting contrast. The state was doing one thing, but ordinary human beings were stretching their hand out to others who were suffering. Uh, I would like you to tell us more about your book, Searching for Maitreya, how you went about writing it, and uh, then we'll talk about some of the most important teachings in your view. So tell us about your book, Searching for Maitreya. Uh, well, you know, initially I didn't think about uh, writing a book at all. I was just kind of busy researching stories of healing. Um, I was busy um, looking at the articles from the Master every month in, in, in the Share International magazine, also beginning to write for that magazine. I used to write for a lot of other publications, freelance as well at the time and press agencies, weeklies, newspapers, and so on. Um, And my interests were more in the domain of the haves versus the have-nots in terms of nations. So I wrote a lot about the north-south divide and and what kinds of policies would emerge from major institutions in the northern hemisphere and how they would impact on on the poor in countries in the south and that sort of thing. I was very concerned with that kind of stuff. But at the same time, Um, What began to happen was that I learned of a man in the Asian community who actually apparently was being visited by Maitreya quite regularly and different people were gathering in his house somewhere in uh, North London. And um, I learned of this from a young Asian man and um, I was given um, this person's phone number and I phoned him and he didn't want to know anything at all about journalists to begin with, and it was very difficult to contact him, but I persevered and eventually uh, managed to make contact with this man, and he, he, um, he was very reluctant in the beginning, 
But um, again, I had yet another experience, which was that I had a dream where I was in a car with several journalists, and I saw my tray crossing in front of the car. And I, in the dream, I said, stop, stop, that's my tray, I said to these journalists. And they stopped the car, and I, I saw my tray turn around and come and open the door of the car and sit sort of half in and half out of the car in a very nice, informal sort of way. And he was addressing us. And then I don't know what he said, but when he got up and he started walking down the hill, I felt I desperately had to go after him and ask him a question. So I raced down this hill and I suddenly came into what I can only describe as his aura. I was walking alongside him in this dream. And I suddenly felt such an incredibly intense love in my heart that it was the pain of love. It was something mm -hmm. excruciatingly painful, like a sort of love for all the world, for all the humanity. That's what he made me feel. And I sort of had this image of St. Sebastian with all these arrows going through his heart. I mean, it was, I, I thought, how can, how can he endure this love? And then I asked him a question. I said, how does, Master, how does one fight evil? And he answered telepathically and made me understand that you don't fight evil in any other way but, but by extending love. And the image he gave me was of a, of, a, of a flat stone that you throw across the water and it creates uh, a sort of skipping thing with, with concentric circles of water emerging uh -huh. and expanding ever more, ever more. Mm -hmm. And that that's how one should be expanding one's love ever more, ever more. And he, he had sort of looked down at me as if I were a babe asking him this question. And he had initially mentally said, yes, that is difficult. But then he gave me this image and I understood. And um, again, he was dressed in that dream. Very simply, he could have passed unperceived in a city like London where there are people from every nationality on earth, I think, walking around. White shirt, Western long trousers, very, very impeccable, very impeccable man. And uh, and in the dream, he had a, a price tag hanging from his trousers. <laughs> and I actually picked up this price tag and said, I know that I cannot take this from this life to the next, but can I have it anyway? And he said, yes. And the, ta the price tag had no price. So it was very <laughs> Freudian, the priceless man. <laughs> so priceless when I woke man. up, I thought, this is very strange. And I... And a week later was when that uh, that member of the Asian community, whom I had met, but who hadn't wanted to know about journalists at all afterwards, and I, you know, he wouldn't contact me, and I, I couldn't make contact with him. He rang me a week after that, and he said after that dream, and he said, "Well, the master says that I can ring you, and you can come to see me, and you're free to ask any question. The master has been teaching us, and that is how a whole cycle began." Um, this is before I ever wrote my book, but ultimately reference to this and reference to some of those teachings did form part of the book. But I went there and eventually started going with my colleague, Brian James, who was a producer at the BBC at the time, a TV producer. And uh, we would ask him questions and I, we became aware of the fact that he was actually present with a group of Hindu monks, Hindu swamis, at a place where Maitreya would be teaching them every two days. So initially we went in person, and then later I started uh, doing this on the phone. But when I didn't understand something, I would say, what is, what is meant by this or what is meant by that? He would say, I will ask. And then the next night he would ring, and um, you know, a fantastically interesting answer would emerge. Um, 
So this went on for several years, from 1988 to about 1993, and all of these teachings began to be published in the magazine, Share International, and subsequently in Mr. Kremp's uh, book, My Transmission, which, which actually has three volumes. Right. And some now, of that is the, is, is the, are these teachings. Yes, I just um, wanted to mention a little something on that, too, because part of that era of the emergence and of this reappearance story is that Maitreya gave um, many prognostications on things that were to happen in the world that uh, I, as a freelance journalist and you as well, would not have given two cents for in terms of predictions. There, he, he mentioned, uh, for example, that the Berlin Wall would fall, which nobody would give credence to at that time, and yet it did. He mentioned that Margaret Thatcher would be deposed, and that yes, happened. Yes, that seemed very unlikely at the time, Yes, that is what happened. And yes. also that Mandela mm-hmm. would be released from prison, that seemed impossible at the time. All and, these things did and happen. That, and that Palestine would have its own homeland. The Palestinians yes. would have their homeland. So yes. many, many things like that um, have come to pass, which which were a very, that was a very, very interesting um, period. Now, one of the great teachings of Maitreya, which we have talked many times before um, about on this show, is, of course, the principle of sharing. Um, I'm just wondering, Patricia, and we'll continue on the other side of the break, if you would talk to us about some of the more personal teachings on self-realizations that have come in from Maitreya, and in particular, this uh, practicing honesty of mind, sincerity of uh, sincerity and detachment. Let's have a word about that. Uh, we were introducing one of... Um, Maitreya's very profound teachings, which is to practice honesty of mind, sincerity, and detachment. Yes, that is a very, very key teaching of Maitreya's. And I can remember how this teaching was um, given to me through uh, that member of the Asian community who has come to be known as Maitreya's associate, um, and with whom I formed a, a very strong bond over the years. Um, in terms of his fidelity and his determination to transmit these teachings more or less as they were occurring. So he would call me probably every other night for a long time. Mm. Um, and um, so that was a, that was a very um, sort of regular commitment. And occasionally I would also go and see him. Uh, but with, with what Maitreya means by, by um, uh, this particular way of understanding one's development is that in honesty of mind, it's as if you undertake the responsibility, and it's a decision, really, that you must look at what you are really thinking and whether it is different to what you are saying or what you are feeling. In other words, you have to know what's in your mind, and that means self-examination quite regularly. So it's a kind of ongoing thing. Um, but sincerity of spirit is something else. It has to do with, with an attitude of the heart that when you speak, say what you actually really mean. And, uh, and when you act, act in a way that you really, really feel and mean. So a sincerity of spirit has everything to do with an attitude in life. Mm-hmm. And um, detachment is something that comes when you realize that you're acting from a certain depth in yourself, which is not the ego. 
that's when uh, when you actually experience yourself as someone who can who can observe in a detached way who can who can actually um, see things for what they are both within yourself and also without and um, and in a way that detachment comes hand in hand with compassion because real compassion really only happens when you don't have ego so for example if you see someone suffering and you're going to help him in any way it's not about I am going to help him it's about I am going to help him it's a completely different emphasis it's like you forget yourself you're not there you're you're, you're just responding to something and and um, and it's not because you want to put yourself into an important position and this is true um, you know anyone can practice this but what my trail wants us to understand is that when you practice honesty of mind sincerity of spirit and detachment what happens is that your natural rate of development as a human being resumes so during the day how he sees us is that all of us have conditioning and the conditioning is not our natural real self it's a conditioning over time which happens because we are imperfect we live in an imperfect milieu we're not you know saints or gods right but but in the moment in which we're acting not in our conditioning but from our real being then in that moment we are people who are sincere and honest and detached and in in that moment our natural rate of evolution resumes and in the measure in which we're acting from our conditioning it it stops and then it resumes again in other words we have the possibility of pondering this and of of actually having an honest relationship with ourselves that leads us to this other way of being and doing and and that that's something that takes practice as well as consciousness you have mm-hmm. to be you have to know that you can exercise that choice at any time, at any time with anything that presents itself. And of course, in so doing, you become more conscious and more able to hold that position, to be in that light. Yes, I, yes, indeed. I mean, obviously, you know, being the kinds of people we are, very far, I think, from being masters, that's for sure. Um, if we come in and out of our conditioning, mm-hmm. it's, it's our normal condition. But maybe over time, as we as we practice this more and more, we learn to be more in that attitude. Absolutely. So it is a practice. It is something yes, that we can develop. It's a process. Yes. To, to grow but more into our way, real selves. Yes, and that that is what Maitreya says he has come to teach. On a personal level, he he says. I have not come to found any religion. I have come to teach you the art of self-realization, the realization of your true self. And when he says, be who you are, that's what he means. Mm-hmm. Be that self who you really are. And so it's so different, you know, from people who, you know, think one thing, say another, and do something completely different. Yes, <laughs> yes. and obviously the aim is to be that integrated being who is consonant in thought, word, and deed. Now, that is a very tall order, but it, it doesn't mean it can't happen. You just have to decide that, that that's something to aim for and to, to do some of that every day. Exactly, exactly. And, and how that would spread and, and you know, allow us to um, really take our, our, our power, as it were, as, as souls in incarnation to, uh, 
you know, begin to solve the problems of the world outside of our own self-realization. All of it, all of it together. All of it together, because because if you are only focused on yourself and you pass the beggar by, that's not that's not evolution. You're not evolving. Exactly. You haven't answered a need. You haven't seen where you are. You haven't looked around. Mm-hmm. Whereas what they want us to do is understand that we all have a job collectively in the salvage of, of this humanity. And yes. that's a very beautiful way of realizing that if we take these steps toward greater trust towards each other, greater love, greater sense of brotherhood, really understand the importance of that, um, uh, we are entering into a stream of, of help and salvage that, that they will definitely vivify, energize, galvanize. Because each time there is a gesture like that or you gather together um, uh, even a small group to do something of good in that sense, that will get energized and galvanized. And that's what we are beginning to see more of now, which can allow them to come forward. Yes. So this is, yes. this is wonderful. You know, Patricia, we don't have very much time left. I do want to have a bit of a word uh, about your book. It is called Searching for Maitreya, and it is available on Amazon by whatever suffix you use, .ca.com.uk, whatever. Um, Amazon.com is is fine for Mm -hmm. American listeners. They will get straight to that if they just put Patricia Pitch on plus Searching for Maitreya. Absolutely. And would you talk a bit about the uh, show that you are contributing to in Buenos Aires? Yes, um, this is a, a show called The Return of Maitreya in Buenos Aires. It's in Spanish, El Regreso de Maitreya. And uh, it's been going for um, a couple of years, run by two journalists, Leila Videla and Martin Jankowski. And um, they basically uh, discuss the teachings. They um, uh, represent some of the views of Share International Magazine in terms of the progress of the emergence of these masters. They talk to people who've had experiences of this um, and that kind of thing. They also talk a lot about meditation and they run a transmission meditation group. They're in touch with other small groups around uh, different parts of South America because it's an internet radio station called uh, Radio Mantra that this uh, radio program is on. And I contribute once a month by actually discussing Maitreya's teachings, which has been a great pleasure and a great privilege to be able to do. I've been doing that for just over a year. That's great. So this is really good information for our Spanish uh, listeners. We will put up uh, the information on Patricia's book and also on this radio station on our Facebook page for those who are interested. Uh, Last but not least, uh, well, not even last, hopefully, (laughs) Patricia, um, I'd like to talk about the interviews you did with Benjamin Krem's master. Uh, What that process was like, I want to mention briefly to people that if you go to the website share-international.org and in the advanced search, simply put in Patricia's name, Patricia Pichon, P-I-T-C-H-O-N, you will come across a series of articles that uh, Patricia did 
that were interviews of Benjamin Krem's master. The topics are, there's quite a breadth of topics of very great interest. And um, please do so. That's shareinternational.org slash Patricia Pichon. So um, have a, let's have a word about that interview process and, and the relevance mm-hmm. of that information, Patricia. Okay. Uh, well, the first interview I ever did, I was actually interviewing... I rang up uh, Mr. Benjamin Krem and I asked him if I could interview him about um, the evolution of the Catholic Church in Latin America because I was born and raised in, in Colombia and I was very interested in that side of things. And he said, sure, come and interview me. So I, I went to his house and began the interview and I was interested in, in how, you know, what the future of the church was, because the Catholic Church in, in Latin America is a hugely important institution and um, has been instrumental and in the foreground, for example, of education. Um, there are many, many people who have become educated thanks to going to non-fee-paying Catholic schools. It plays an enormous role in all sorts of ways and in many different conflicts, um, Quite prominent priests have been mediators and so on. Yes. So Unfortunately, that, Patricia, you cannot this, hear but this. That was the very <laughs> first interview because the master took it over and he started answering, and that's how this interview, this interview process began. Thank you, Patricia. We are out of time. Visit us on Facebook at hashtag Planetary Makeover. This show has been a production of planetarymakeover.org. At our website, we have a link to our bi-weekly live show at 5 p.m. Mondays Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. At our website, we also have a link to our archives and a selection of our shows. For more background info, visit www.shareinternationalwest.org. That's shareinternational-west.org. O-R-G. For related books in DVDs and CDs by Benjamin Krem on the emergence of Maitreya, the world teacher, please go to share-ecart.com. That's share-ecart.com. We also invite you to watch another show that we really love entitled, What in the World is Happening? And that show, which you don't want to miss, is produced by Share International Canada. And it airs every second and fourth Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The link to check it out is share-international.ca or visit the Facebook page for What in the World is Happening.